Last couple of weeks I've been kind of, you may not even realize that we've been doing it so subtly, working our way towards the cross at Easter. But uh, this week I'm going to take a little bit of a, a rabbit trail. It's not really a rabbit trail, it's a pretty important trail. But I'm going to go in this direction because right after Easter, uh, the week after Easter, we're going to be having uh, two brothers come and minister. One, most of you or many of you would be familiar with, Ben Goodman uh, from North Carolina, and uh, Stu Schultz, who actually lives up in the Twin Cities. Uh, Some of us that have been around a while remember Stu. He's ministered here, but it's been a number of years. Uh, Both of them minister in the prophetic as well as teachers, and both of them uh, we would recognize as not only having a gift of prophecy, we would recognize them as being called to the office of a prophet. Um, So today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, prophecy, the spirit of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, and prophets. And the title of the message would be, The Lord Speaks to and Through His Children. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this week, and I wanted to start with sharing a little bit, again, about my own travels towards becoming a pastor. Some of you have heard much of this before. Some of you probably haven't heard any of it before. But I was thinking, and my first line was, in 1993. How many of you weren't even born yet in 1993? That is so exciting. <laughs> some of you just flat out lie. <laughs> to somebody who wasn't even born then, that seems like ancient history. To somebody like me, it seems like ancient history. Golly, 1993. At that time, Cindy and I were married. We had three children. Uh, we were living in our home that we had built, our log home, her, our little log home that everybody else calls the cabin. We call it our house. And uh, I was working for Relco. I was their national sales manager. They were a much smaller company at that time, and I was still over my head. But uh, we were also, I was also an elder in the church. And it was an interesting time and season for Cindy and I because internally, I, I really had been sensing the call to ministry in my life. Uh, internally and externally, it made me really nervous. Flat out scared me, and it really confused me because of where I was at in my life. Never been to seminary, you know, went to college, was a school teacher, biology, chemistry, all that exciting stuff. But my insecurities were raging. And I looked at the situation, and we had just really, not too long before that, gotten a new pastor after going two years without a pastor. So we were really excited to have a new pastor, Stan, Stan Potter. But I was feeling inside. I had met a a guy at the time who was an evangelist, Lowell Lundstrom. If you're my age, maybe a few years younger, you might remember Lowell Lundstrom. But he was an evangelist. And I remember I went over to one of their little crusades over at Tracy. And I remember they mistook me for a a pastor. Everybody that was with me got a real chuckle out of that. And then I met Lowell Lundstrom two or three other times after that, and every time I'd meet him, he'd always go, Hey, Jonah, how you doing? And I said, Why do you keep calling me Jonah? He says, When are you going to stop running from the Lord? Uh, well, that's interesting. I'm not going to go in any deep water. Where there's big fish, that's for sure. 
But in September of 1993, we had three men here, and they were ministering. And one of them spoke these words over me, declare the truth. You will declare the truth that will set people free, not only in the church, but in the community. And then another one of the three guys said, there's a call on your life to break the bread of life, the word of God. And you will share the word of the Lord. Seasons of brokenness and humility are coming. I like the first part. Because the Father loves you and wants to discipline you for service. You will have the sword of the Spirit to penetrate situations and penetrate lives with tears flowing down your face. Now, if you knew me then, that was not me. But I received those words. In January of 1994, just a few months later, uh, a guy from Ireland, Bobby Mearns. Diane would have been receiving a word for that from Bobby Mearns in regard to having a child. But my word was, God has gifted you to steer the ship as a helmsman to lead the church to where God wants to lead it. Another prophet that was with him said, God will cause you to lead your own ship as a helmsman and shepherd your own flock. And then I was in a little tiny church up in Morris, Minnesota, and a guy by the name of David Blumgren said that you are going to have favor in the community amongst unsaved, influential people and favor to speak into wounded lives of both saved and lost people. I share that with you as we begin to look at some prophecy and the way it's used today. The scripture says prophetic words are to edify, to encourage or exhort, and to comfort. It was in 1995, just the next year, that the Lord opened a whole bunch of doors that had to be opened and had to do a real work in my own life and Cindy's life for me to step into the pastorate at this church. And I have a whole file full of prophetic words like this that I go back to on a regular basis to look at them, to be reminded sometimes that God does have a plan. Sometimes it's to be encouraged. Sometimes it's to be built up. Sometimes it's to strengthen. Sometimes it's just because, God, are you sure you did the right thing? And I need to hear it again. But I look at those prophetic words and the impact that they had in preparing me for what I didn't really want, that I had been running from for quite some time, that took me way out of my comfort zone. And my wife changed our lives, changed the lives of my children dramatically. And I think just how important those words were at that time even though at the time that I received them, I couldn't see or understand or hardly believe that they could come to pass. But they did. And when we bring in prophetic people and they happen to prophesy over you or me, because in most of these cases, they were random things. I mean, up at Morris, I don't even know, there was maybe 200 guys in the church and one person received prophecy that whole weekend. Me. And in the middle of the service that happened, I was sitting in the second row, and the stage was really, really close in this little church. I remember I had my eyes closed, and I was just worshiping and singing, and somebody grabbed my hand. And David Blumgren started prophesying. And you think, holy cow. This is either the craziest thing ever, or God, 
God really does care about you. And he really does have a plan for you. That he would, in the midst of keeping the universe spinning, would speak to you individually. To me individually. To me, it's not just this cool thing. It's just an amazing demonstration of the amazing love that God has for us and the care that he has for us and that he really is sovereign and knows everything about us, you and me. When I look into the scripture, a really good example, because when you talk about prophecy and prophets, you better be able to support what you're saying with scripture. Because in a lot of our churches and a lot of religion today, it's you know, either poo-pooed or they just say it all passed away when the perfect came. And they define the perfect as the canon of Scripture. I don't know about you, but I define the perfect as Jesus Christ and when he returns. Then we'll know fully. We won't be seeing through the glass dimly. We'll be transformed in the image of Christ. And until that day, these gifts that God gave us are for us. They're for the church to build up the body of Christ, but they're for us because you and I are the body of Christ. And he has a plan. And I look at Timothy and I think, you know, because I thought, well, God, you really had to get a hold of me because I was so insecure and I had so much work to be done in my life. You know, that message about brokenness and humility. Uh, that wasn't much fun to hear. Especially when he follows up with this, because you're going to be disciplined. Thank goodness he said for service. I thought, okay, I can endure that. But Timothy, Timothy I think was as insecure as me. What do you think of that? Because he had to be encouraged so many times. Just think he was mentored traveled with Paul and Luke, and he was mentored by Paul. Paul considered him a son in the faith, and yet he had to be reminded. And you know what he had to be reminded of? To stir up the prophetic words that had been spoken over him so that his faith would not fail him, that he would persevere and hang on and fulfill the call that was put on his life and re revealed to him through the laying on of hands and prophecy in a presbytery. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures in 1 Timothy 1, 18. Timothy, my son, Paul is writing this. He says, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you so that by following them, by following them, you might fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. St. Paul Hang on, I'm reminding you of those prophetic words. I'm reminding you so that you will hang on and you will succeed in what I've called you to do. In 1 Timothy 4, 13, Paul's writing again and he says, And until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Number of translations, the word there is actually when the presbytery laid hands on you. A presbytery, a group of, of people in the governmental position of elders in a church. They laid hands on you and you received the prophetic message, the prophetic calling on your life. He says, be, be in 2 Timothy, um, 
Well, I'm going to finish reading that. Uh, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders lays hands on you, and be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Remember those prophetic messages. Remember the calling that was revealed to you. Hang on to them. Be diligent. Take care of that prophetic word and that gift so that people will see your progress. So often it's easy if you've been around prophecy. Everybody wants a prophecy. Well, almost. There was a time I was afraid, Lord, don't let them talk to me because there's so much sin in my life. I don't want it revealed in front of everybody. They, They won't do that, by the way. But I didn't know that. And then in 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan the flame, the, fan into a flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And, and Paul is imparting and reminding Timothy of these things because it was so important for him to remember, to be reminded, to, to be able to, in the midst of his own insecurities, I mean, he's cautioned once, hey, don't, just because you're young, Timothy, don't worry about that. Don't, don't let people put you down. He was insecure. He was facing persecution. There was false teachers, and he was going to stand for truth. It was tough. And one of the important things that he was reminded of, hang on to those prophecies, those prophetic messages that were revealed to you. And as I said in a couple of weeks, and that's, or a few weeks, that's why I wanted to mention this this week, because I, I, I won't next two weeks, is we're going to having these two brothers come. And we as the elders and leadership of this church recognize them not just as having a spirit of prophecy, not just as having a gift of prophecy, but we recommend, re- recognize these brothers as being called to the office of prophet. Now, you may not know what the difference is yet. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit in just a few minutes. But what I'm saying that now for is when, we, when they come, we recognize them as having a certain authority in the church. As they come and they submit to us, it's almost as if we were saying, if we work this way, you're honorary all elders today. They come and submit to the leadership, and we submit to them. We take very serious when in Ephesians 4, when God says, Jesus says, one of the gifts that I'm going to ask the Father to send is the office of a prophet, to build and to strengthen, to edify the church. So we believe when they come, they do come with a certain amount of authority that comes out of relationship and mutual submission one to another. So I want to give you a few definitions first because for some, this whole prophecy thing may seem strange or weird or even unbiblical. There's a few words in the Greek that you don't ever need to remember in the Greek. But the first word is, and if you don't know what a Strong's number is, go ahead and go to the next slide. That's what that is, that 4395. All the words in the Bible have a number assigned to them. So we can look up the number in a lexicon that you can go to online and find out what it means in the Greek or in the Hebrew if it's an Old Testament word. And this word here is prophetuo. We would call it a prophet, to prophesy, excuse me, prophesy, prophecy. And the meaning of that word in the Greek is to foretell events. There's a supernatural aspect to it. It's a divine thing. It's speaking under the influence and the inspiration of God, and it's exercising the prophetic office. This is the word that is so often mistranslated 
in a broad, broad sense, it could be, be just preaching. But oftentimes in most of our Bibles or most of your translations, more often than not, this word is translated preaching or proclaiming. And in a very broad sense, anytime we proclaim the word of God, there is a prophetic aspect to it. But when we say that, in our mind, it removes the supernatural from it. The next word there is prophetes or prophet, the one who prophesies. As I said, a lot of translations go with preaching. There are clear words in the Greek that are translated preaching or sharing the good news. The first one there, euangeleozo, is what we get the word evangelize from, or evangelism, which simply means to preach the gospel. And then caruso, which means to preach or proclaim. So there is this distinction in the Greek words where we could almost put them all together in our English words and say it's proclaiming. But the, the preaching and the evangelizing, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the word of God, if I'm proclaiming the word of God, in the Greek it would be caruso, not prophesying. So I just say that as you study the scripture, and hope you do, to, to check this out, check me out. You understand what I'm talking about and can check it out on your own. And the divine prophecy, the way I believe the scripture intends it, and the way that we would look at it is, prophecy is a declaration, a message from God not known by natural means, but by divine revelation. And it can include prediction as well as just an anointed declaration. When these brothers were speaking those things over me, it was an anointed declaration, but also some of it you saw there was a foretelling or a prediction aspect to it. And that's because these guys would be called to the office of prophet. So, the next thing I want to just touch on is how much authority and power is there in prophecy today? Well, when we look at Scripture, I want to make sure, first and foremost, as I'm talking about prophecy, we understand this. The Scripture, the Word of God, the 66 books in this Bible are the final word from God and the sufficiency of Christ is included in there. There is no prophecy that's going to add to or change or subtract from the Word of God. The Bible is a divine authority. The word intrinsic, it contains an authority just because of what it is. It has an intrinsic or divine authority that we don't have to question. We may not always understand it, but it has an authority because of what it is. It's the Word of God. So when we receive prophecy, we need to remember it doesn't change Scripture. In fact, Scripture tests prophecy. When we receive or hear a prophetic word or, or prophecy, the first thing we do when we talk about testing it is, does it line up with Scripture? You may not always find a specific thing in personal prophecy in the Bible, but if it contradicts any principle of the word of God, throw it away. Throw it away. So scripture is closed and it is final, the final authority. But having said all that, that doesn't mean that prophecy isn't one of the ways that God speaks to his children today. 
there are many ways through the word, number one, by the Holy Spirit, dreams and visions, prophecy, all of these things, other people. God speaks to us through all of these different things, but one of them is truly and is for today prophecy. Now, the, in the Old Testament, there was a different level of authority. In the Old Testament, when those prophets spoke, they were speaking as if they were the voice of God. They had an authority that was intrinsic. It was in them because they were speaking for God. The apostles, when they taught in the New Testament, you know, you never read in the Scripture where the Old Testament prophets prophesied and everybody said, well, let's all get together over here and and judge that thing. No, it was God. And if it wasn't God, guess what they did? They stoned the prophets. So you didn't want to make a mistake. The apostles, similarly, in the, Old, in the New Testament, until they had this, we had this book, when they spoke and taught, it was within, with an authority different than anybody who teaches the Word of God today. There was an intrinsic divine authority in them, and the greatest example of all time would have been Jesus when Jesus walked the earth, when he lived on earth, he was a prophet, he was an apostle, he was a teacher, he was a shepherd or pastor, and he was an evangelist. He had all five. He was the government of the church. He is the head of the church, still is. But when he ascended, he said, I'm going to give you prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists, pastors. I'm gone. I'm going to give you those offices to help shepherd my church. So there's an authority that is different. They can have a secondary authority, if you would like that word. For example, I like examples. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of teaching, right? Amen? Everybody would realize that? It's one of them listed in the Bible, the gift of teaching. Okay, so if I'm the teacher, if Pastor Bob's the teacher, I'm going to pick on him instead of me. If Pastor Bob's the teacher, it doesn't matter how good he is, is he infallible? Absolutely not. If I'm teaching up here like I'm doing right now this morning, am I infallible? Absolutely not. I'm teaching from the Word of God. Is it infallible? Absolutely. Therefore, any authority that I might have or Pastor Bob might have is a very secondary authority because we're, our source has a divine intrinsic authority, but I don't. So as long as I'm teaching the Word of God correctly, there's an authority in those words. But would anybody say just because I'm not infallible and Pastor Bob's not infallible that the teaching has no value? No, of course we wouldn't. That's why he gave us the gift of teaching. There's great value to having someone who has a gift of teaching teaching the Word of God. But it's not infallible. You know, John Piper And some of you might say, what are you doing quoting a Baptist? Well, he's good sometimes. Piper uses this phrase when he talks about prophecy, and he believes prophecy is for today. He says, in a secondary sense, we would say teaching prophecy today has a divine authority, an authority not in itself, but in its source, either the Bible or spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained, and revelation rooted in the Word of God. Yet, 
there is a need for testing and sifting. And that phrase, that's his phrase. I, I like that phrase. Spirit prompted, spirit sustained, the spirit gives it a weightiness and holds it up, and rooted in a revelation from the word of God in the case of the teacher. And he says, but still, it needs to be tested and sifted. And I like that word sifted because, oh, I'm going to read the scripture now. I'm going to jump ahead and you don't need to worry about it, Dylan, yet. But in First Thessalonians, we're going to read the scripture. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterance, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from all evil. And that hold fast to me tells me there's, there's some things that I need to let go of. He says the prophetic utterances, don't despise them, but let's examine them and hang on to what's good. Same thing when, when we're teaching, when I'm teaching, just because I say it, even if I say it and try to throw in a little Greek to impress you, don't trust me. Study on your own. Be Bereans. I want to say I hope you can trust me, and I always try to do everything in such a way that it is trustworthy, but you need to study the word on your own. You need to discern. What if we're here? Because anybody think there's any false teachers out there today? Oh, man, they're everywhere. And I don't want to ever be one. So by you studying the word, and if you think I'm getting off track, and you come to me and say, Mike, brother Mike, I think, I want to hear it. Because we want to stay on the right page. And all of us studying the word, all of us reading the word, all of us asking the Holy Spirit to give us revelation and understanding is a whole lot better than just me or Bob as we prepare for our study and preaching and teaching. So we want to encourage that. Because that's what we're going to primarily test it against, first and foremost. That teaching gift, what is it that makes it not infallible and makes it fallible? Well, I can study this word, and as I'm studying the word, I can look at it and perceive it wrong. Hope that doesn't shock anybody. I can perceive it wrong. I can understand it wrong. I can apply it wrong. And I can can communicate it wrong. Man, there is a lot of room for error in there, isn't there? The Word is divine, but for that person who has the gift of teaching, teaching it, they've got to receive it, understand it, interpret it correctly, apply it rightly, take it in context of the Scripture, and then communicate it correctly. That's why it's not infallible. There is no human teacher that is not fallible. They can all make mistakes. And trust me, We all do. So I share all that with the gift of teaching to apply it to the gift of prophecy. Because we still have a mindset, an awful lot of us, of an Old Testament prophet who in its very nature had a divine authority that was intrinsic in their prophesying. God said, you go speak these words. They're my words. They didn't have all of this to look at. We might call that the true prophet. When they spoke, people better listen because it was going to come to pass. And we have this other category over here. We have the true prophet, 
And then we have the Old Testament false prophet. And I shouldn't even say Old Testament because we got some New Testament false prophets. The difference being, if you were an Old Testament false prophet, you were condemned and stoned and killed. In the New Testament, it makes you wonder, is there a third category, so to speak, of prophet? And I would offer to you today, absolutely. Prophecy has not disappeared. It's still an important part of God speaking to his people. As a matter of fact, it's so important that when Jesus was going to ascend to heaven, he said to his disciples, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask the Father that he would send gifts to the church. They're called the ascension gifts, if you would. They're not really a gift as much as they are an office. Remember, Jesus was apostle. He was a prophet. He was a pastor, shepherd. He was a teacher, and he was evangelist. No one ever liked him before, and there will never be another one like him. But when he left, those five things in their purity disappeared. But he said, don't worry, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you the gift, the office of an, an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, evangelist, and teacher. Fivefold ministry offices to the church. And they're going to be around to help the church grow and mature until he comes back. So they're still here. They're still important. However, even though the revelation that a prophet might receive is divine and it has an authority, it has to be received by a human mind, it has to be understood to a degree, and then it has to be delivered accurately. And men are doing this that are fallible. They can mess up and fail. And the Bible tells us more than one place we're to test the word of God. In Corinthians it says, two or three can prophesy and all the rest judge the prophecy. And then it doesn't go on to say, and if it's wrong, take them outside and stone them to death. We're not judging the prophet. We're judging the prophecy. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't very careful who we consider the office of a prophet. We want people that we know that have a proven track record, that we have relationship with, that have a right heart and right spirit about them because they would all be part of what God would want because remember in the New Testament the primary role of prophecy is to edify or build up, exhort or encourage, and to comfort. You've got to have a right attitude to do those things. True prophets will operate in that right attitude. The office of a prophet can go a little bit further, but we need to test them. And I read 1 Thessalonians 5. Go ahead and you can put that slide up if you haven't already. Thanks. We're to test it. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, it says, you know, I just quoted, let two or three prophesy, and then all the rest of us test it. So everybody that prophesies, are they a prophet? No way. No way. That's ridiculous. You know, 
I can light a fire, but that doesn't make me a match, right? It's just a tool. You know, we, I want to give you three realms of prophecy, and you can find this maybe differently and worded differently, but there is a spirit of prophecy. Usually a spirit of prophecy would manifest in a corporate gathering, and there is such an anointing for prophecy to be released. And all of a sudden, people that have never prophesied before have this unction that I need to share this, this thing that's bubbling up in me. It's a, a spirit of prophecy that comes on us. It is not the same as a gift of prophecy. Just because you prophesy once and it's right on the button doesn't mean you have the gift of prophecy, and it certainly doesn't mean you're called to be a prophet. Might be those things, but that doesn't mean it is. So we can prophesy with the spirit of prophecy. Then there is the gift of prophecy that we see in both uh, Romans 12 and in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, this list, this prophecy, gift of prophecy that's, that's given to us. If you have the gift of prophecy, you in all likelihood can prophecy kind of often. It's a gift that you have in you. Now, we would say they can prophesy a lot. Sure they can. Well, we doubt that. Why do we doubt that? Why do we put that label on a gift like prophecy when listed right with it is like the gift of teaching? Can I teach whenever I want to? Pretty much. Not always anointed, but pretty much. Can you give if you have the gift of giving? Yeah, you can. Can you prophesy if you have the gift of prophesy, prophecy? Yeah. All the time? Not necessarily, but quite often. And then there is the prophet, that fivefold ascension gift given to the church. Not everybody that has the gift of prophecy is called to that position. It's like when we take uh, spiritual gift tests in here, and I see most of yours that have taken them, we have a whole bunch of people that have a shepherding or pastoring gifting. They have been, that's in them. That's, that's who they are. It's part of who they are. That, that doesn't mean you're all called to be a, pro, a pastor. You're shepherding. You're nurturing people. You're guiding people. You're caring for people. You're loving for people. That's shepherding. But that's not necessarily a call to that five-fold ministry of pastor. Same thing's true with prophecy. You may have the gift of prophecy and you may prophesy quite regularly, but that does not make you a prophet. Okay? What makes you a prophet? A calling of God and a gifting given to you by God and recognized by people who have tested it. So when I say we're going to bring in Ben Goodman and we're going to bring in Stu Schultz, and I say we recognize as having a calling on their lives to be uh, prophets. That doesn't make them some super Christian at all. doesn't make them better than you or me at all. It just means God has given them a position to prophesy to the churches to build up the body of Christ till he returns. And we think it's a an exciting thing. We would like to see Truebridge churches, which we are a part of a group of churches of Truebridge, we would love to see prophets raised up in every local church. We think that every local church should have a pastor, a teachers, maybe more than one, pastors, more teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists. They didn't just disappear when religion and denominationalism came into play. They'd just been ignored. So we believe that bringing in any of those fivefold ministries is very advantageous to us as a church. 
the prophet edifies, exhorts, comforts, strengthens, but also can give guidance, give a rebuke, give a correction, and even give direction. You know, there's not, not many people who would come to me and say, Mike, the Lord is going to bring breaking and disciplining and whatever else he was going to do into your life, and one day you're gonna, going to shepherd your own flock. There's way too much rebuking and correcting and prediction in there for a typical prophecy. But coming from a prophet, it carried a weightiness. Didn't mean I didn't test it, because we're supposed to test it. Hang on to what is good. Let go of what's not. So bringing in these guys as prophets. And one of the most important things we do is test prophecy. And I'm going to go through this very quickly. What do I do? First, test it. Sift the word. What do you test it against first and foremost? The word of God. If it's contrary to scripture, don't even bother doing the rest of the test. Just get rid of it. Whoever was giving you that word, the the prophecy failed the test. We can still love that brother or sister in the Lord, but we're just going to throw that prophecy out the window. Period. But, does it speak according to the whole of Scripture? Sometimes it doesn't seem to directly contradict anything, but it just goes against all of the Scripture in its totality. It just doesn't fit, doesn't set in the Scripture. Throw it out. Does it edify? Does it encourage? Does it strengthen? Okay, and as it's passing each test, that's a good thing, but we want to make sure it passes most of them. We'd like it to pass all of them, but especially those first couple. The spirit in which the prophetic word is given, I mentioned that already. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I got a word from you, I think it's a prophetic word for you, and it comes across as condemning and judgmental and harsh, say, thank you, brother or sister, but I don't want you to share any more with me. That is not of God. It's one of the tests. Does it come to pass over time? Notice I say over time. Patience is part of the testing of us. Does it come to pass? They're not going to be perfect. They are fallible. It's got to go through human people before it gets to our ear. And human people can make mistakes. That's why we test it, sift it. We want to look at the life of a prophet. And again, we don't bring in anybody unless we can get strong recommendations, and usually we want them from True Bridge pastors. You know, we know Ben Goodman, and we've known Stu Schultz for many, many, many years. And trust them. They come with the right spirit and the right heart. All they want to do is build the body of Christ. Does it bear witness with your spirit? And I want to say that, and I say it with fear and trembling. Because we all love the word that sounds good, and we say, hey, yeah, that ministers to my spirit. I want to be a superstar. This is the most subjective test there is, and oftentimes one of the most unreliable. But it should minister to us. It should resonate with our spirit. But again, we want to go with the other tests and then add what I would say is the last test. Submit whatever you receive to leadership, to pray with you, to uh, confirm or 
or throw it out with you. So how do we respond? Faith? Just think about it. If it's God, we should be believing it, right? By faith. With humility and meekness, patience, joy, and a submission spirit. That's how we should receive it. Notice I didn't say with ignorance or blind faith. We need to test it. We need to use our our minds that the Lord has given us, but we need to receive by faith. Improper responses, doubt, pride. The Lord's going to lift you up and he's going to give you an opportunity to speak before thousands of people. (laughs) You know, here I am. Aren't I something? No, that's not the way to receive it. By faith and humility. Anger. Believe it or not, I've had seen people respond with anger. The primary way where that position is set in place is they come wanting to hear a specific thing like they're going to tell God what he's supposed to tell them today and they don't receive the word that they wanted and they're mad. I'm not sure that that would bring much joy to Father's heart. Bitterness, I want your word. You can have mine. Yours is better than mine. I want yours. God, what's wrong with you? How come I'm a way better person than them? You're you're bitter. You're angry. Uh, Independent spirit. First of all, you've heard me say, and if you haven't heard me, I'm going to say it right now. If someone in this church comes to you and says they have a prophecy or a prophetic word they want to share with you, I want you to do two things. Say, thank you, I would love to hear it. Let's go find an elder. Okay? Two things. The last thing we want is a bunch of self-proclaimed prophets or prophetesses giving words in the back of the church. We want to guard it as best we can. What they do outside the church, I can't control. But within the church, we want it to always be safe. And anybody, the word Scripture says, all may prophesy, especially with the spirit of prophecy is present. All may prophesy. So just say someone comes up to you and they don't look like you think they're supposed to look, so you're not going to listen to them. Don't do that. Rumor has it that John the Baptist looked pretty crazy and ridiculous. And rumor has it he was a pretty powerful prophet. So we don't want to judge the cover but we want to be safe, always be safe. That's why, and I'm going to close, I promise. That's why we record every prophecy that's given in this church in a public setting. We record every individual one. If I bring one of these guys around and we meet with your life group and they are going to prophesy, we're going to record every single message. And then poor Cindy has to type them all up and get them to you in a timely way. And we do that so we can discern and test and then do like I do. You know, we've got a file of every prophecy that Cindy Barnes has ever typed up. Of every single one that's ever received one. So if someone comes to me and says, well, the Lord told me, you remember that prophecy? I go, no, I don't remember. Let's go look at it. Let's go test it again. And when we have them and you have them, you can go to them and like Paul said to Timothy, come on, remember it, stir it up. Don't ignore it nor neglect it. So I just want to close with saying this. Prophecy is one of the ways God speaks to us still today. And it is an expression, true prophecy is an expression of his love for you and his love for me. 
and it brings edification. It builds us up. It strengthens us. It encourages us, and it comforts us. And if you have not received one and you would like to receive one, when you receive it, you will be so blessed if you receive it in the right spirit. Because I just like to remind people, just think of this. The God of the universe just spoke to you. You. You who the world might say is of no value and has no worth. The God of the universe just spoke to you. And more often than not, you'll know it because the person prophesying is going to hit some things right on the button that there's no way they could know. That's why we like to bring in somebody who's not been here very often, like Stu. You know, Ben knows some of us. The point of the prophecy is always to build up the church. But that doesn't diminish the importance for personal prophecy because you are the church and you're part of the church. And responding rightly to it does build us up. And when we have a prophet come in that we believe is a prophet, it can also give direction and keep us on a track or maybe encourage us when we think something's supposed to happen that it has not happened yet. It's one of the tests. Is it already confirming something in your heart? Okay, thank you for putting up with a a lot of teaching that I could have went on for hours and hours and hours. And it just seems like it. I didn't really. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you and praise you that you speak to us today in so many ways. I thank you for the gifts that Jesus asked you to give to the church when he ascended to your right hand. The apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists. We thank you for the prophets. Father, we pray for great wisdom, discernment, but we would receive these kinds of things with faith and humility. And we would never take lightly your word, whatever source you use to give it to us. And it would all be for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.